I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. In this podcast, we chat about the defeats of Fulham and Hull. We look ahead to Bournemouth and Huddersfield. And of course, we answer your podcast questions. This is the Board Breakdown podcast, and this is all your Boring Mash Day chatter in a pod. Wait. Danny, you don't know who Luther Van Drossen is. support. Curtis Fleming is there on the edge of the air. Fleming for What's Craig it? Hignett. Hit it, Higgy. Higgy hits the track. Abanelli coming alive again. Janino wants the ball played to him. Abanelli spots out. Hello and welcome to the Borough Breakdown Podcast with Johnny, Dana and Tom. We are the Borough Podcast that gives you all of your Borough Match Day chatter in a podcast. And this week, back-to-back home defeats saw Borough drop to eighth place in the championship table. Three points off the playoff places. Um, guys, there's eight no stopping us now after last week's podcast, you know, after the 4-0 win over Peterborough. Um, but how are you feeling after those back-to-back defeats? Um, Dana, do you want to go first? Yeah, I feel a little bit deflated, to be honest. It's been a bit of a weird week because, of course, two defeats in this uh, period of games for us. And it, I mean, the first one, the one against Fuller midweek, a defeat, but a good performance. And then yesterday against Hull, a defeat and a shocking performance. It was just a weird contrast in performances that I haven't really, I don't really expect from this team. So it's been a bit, bit odd but a bit deflating especially obviously back-to-back defeats our home record is gone now um it's a bit yeah it's just it, it sapped a, a lot of energy out of me I think mm, okay then. um we'll come out a little bit later on then around like the home form and, and Boris form in general really um but Tom how are you feeling a little bit better or worse no I mean I, mean, I think deflated is the word of the day really after after last weekend you know we'd put ourselves in such a good position uh to to you know really make a push for the playoffs and, and solidify a place in there and I mean we're still only three points with off with game in hand it's not over yet but it could have been so much more comfortable by now as Dana said there was contrasting performances this week I felt that we really played well against Fulham and then let ourselves down in one moment where it felt like the entire team just went to sleep. And then yesterday, I mean, never mind falling asleep, they just didn't turn up. <laughs> they didn't wake up. <laughs> they didn't wake up from the start, did they? Yeah, it was, it was weird yesterday. <clears throat> yeah, I think the, the I think I agree with you guys. Deflate is probably the, 
the right word for the for the podcast really and it was chalk and cheese from what we'd seen from from Peterborough and then also what we we got in the last couple of games but I think when we look at the performance against Fulham I thought it was good and in a lot of spells but we just couldn't score um, and then yesterday that first 20 minutes was fantastic and then we just seemed to allow uh, Hull to come in the game more and more as the game progressed and it felt like a draw or a defeat was going to be coming in the end. Um, but let's let's look at the first defeat then first because Borough did make four changes to the side that beat Peterborough uh, with Taylor, Peltier, Sparam, what more coming in. Um, Peltier getting his getting his uh, getting in the first eleven because of his wonderful uh, Conor McGregor type moves coming on the bench, must <laughs> have earned himself a spot um, at right wing back. Um, but how would you assess the game, Tom, midweek? Like I say, I, I thought we played well. Uh, I thought we definitely played well enough to at least get a point out of it. Um, going into it, when I saw the selection, I was a bit concerned. Obviously, just the fact that Jones was missing, which isn't a problem we've had to deal with much this season. Um, and then the rotation of the strikers and, you know, Bowler not playing after after such a game, uh, good game on Saturday. But I can kind of see what he what he went for in terms of the, the wing-back. They both had more kind of defensive qualities than... Attacking, and we—I thought we really did well in in kind of nullifying them. Um, mm. I was thinking during the game, like early kind of prison place uh, nominations. I was thinking Dill Fry because Mitrovic was quiet all up until the that one moment where I just felt like the entire team let themselves down and let him get unmarked in the area. And uh, after that, I was just like, I can't really nominate anyone, but. Like we even had our chances in that game and and just didn't take them, which hasn't even been a problem that we've had uh, too much recently. I mean, especially not after Peterborough, you would have expected confidence to to be high and for those to get in. But yeah, we, we had too many of them towards the end that that didn't go in. Mm. Yeah, what fifteen shots I think in, in in the game and against against Fulham and that chance right at the end with Watmore and just kind of all of it. You just felt like. <sighs> we should have really got something from the game. Um, but then we did make changes and it was a more defensive structure type change uh, with Taylor and uh, Peltier coming in. Do you think, although we got beat, the, the game plan from Chris, Rowd- Chris Wilder was, was, was the right move? Yeah, I do. I mean, it worked, to be honest. If our game plan was to manage them, to keep our shape and to basically nullify the threats that they have, then it worked. I thought, obviously, with Peltier and Neil Taylor, they're more conservative wing-back options, aren't they? They're not, they don't have the attacking acumen as, as Aya Jones and, and Mark Bowler, for example. And I think what it did was it stifled Fulham and it kept the, it kept us toe-to-toe with them. We didn't really allow them. There was one moment probably within the first 10 minutes where Harry Wilson got in down the right-hand side, which is maybe something to keep an eye out on because it, it's happened a few times of late where the space behind the wing-backs wing has been exploited. But it was a game plan that was understandable. Without Jones, I think you need a little bit of... of probably the the best game for Jones to be missing to be honest because we did we did need to be a little bit more defensive and I thought that's what the options that we had allowed us to be but what it did 
make is for difficulty with those combinations down the flying that we've seen so many times this season and we had to adapt the way that we approached the game because of that and I think you saw with Watmore in particular we were trying to put balls into the channels for him to to run onto that's where we tried to get in but yeah it was uh it was a it, it was I think you put it the best Johnny in the telegram chat that it was a game of chess because it was two teams that were tactically quite intriguing the shape of both sides was good we were cancelling each other out um our midfield was being pushed back and, and I think that's why we saw most of the time it was midfield to defence and then forward um, thought they pressed incredibly well but yeah it was, a, it was a fascinating tactical battle in the first half and in the second we did uh, up the ante a bit when Matt Bowler came on he created the most chances in the game with four um, we just couldn't convert as Tom has uh, alluded to it's uh, yeah it was frustrating because I thought we did more than enough to not only get a point out of the game but to, to be honest to get three yeah, uh, we were lucky not to, to take three points, to be honest, from Fulham. And when you're looking at the likes of Corburn's chance, where it's just that glancing header across the post, and then you got what more at the end, and the chances that we were making throughout the game were, were fairly decent. I think when you're looking at probably like an XG, I think Boaz could potentially be in quite high there. And I think the performance in general against Fulham was was good. We, we I think we nullified their ability to get the ball into Mitrovic at times. We made things difficult. We try to confine them when they were trying to play. And I think that tactical battle as well was really, really good in that first half where both teams were cancelling each other out, like you were saying, Dana. Um, but in the second half, I thought we got the better of them. And then I think their goal, which will come on to an hour, is just a case of, in my opinion, I think it's a very well-drilled free kick. Um, and it's to see that you, they've done this time and time again, it's paid off. But what do you think it is? Do you think it's a, a case of Boris switching off? Or do you think it was just the of Fulham just having a bit of brilliance and Mitrovic finding himself in the right place at the right time? Cop-out answer, but probably both. I mean, there's mm. a point where Dykesteel slips and I'm sure, I mean, Dykesteel's incredibly good with recovery runs and recovery defending period. I'm pretty sure he would have got to Mitrovic to at least, at the very least, put him off. I mean, for him to get a, pretty much a, a free header is really disappointing. But yeah, I think the quality of Harry Wilson is is there for all to see to be honest and you would expect it from somebody of his caliber and of his price tag sorry to mention it but it, it's it's just it is what it is with the money that they they brought him in for um but yeah I think we just switch off and it it was so irritating after the game because that was the one moment that made the difference and I agree with Tom I thought we marshaled Dale Fry marshaled the defence really well and I thought he did well up against Mitrovic he was physical up against him he didn't really let him in um, at all really and then that moment decided the game and that was really their only moment which was um, yeah it was it was disappointing but a bit of both probably to answer your question yeah, and I think with with we've alluded to it already. I think with with the chances and stuff, Tom. But like I thought, like what what fifteen shots on 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 not on target, but fifteen shots off the game, four on target. Fifteen shots on target. I wish. Fifteen shots. I mean, uh, hey. <laughs> One of them would have been a goal, right? There's there's been games on pro clubs, Tom, and you know this fine well that we've had fifteen shots on target and end up getting beat one <laughs> Um it, it does happen. Um, but with that, Tom, a thousand chances from the from the Borough strikers were just never enough. Um, they got in another loop of Andros for reference for you there. Um, well, 15 shots, we need to get these strikers finishing at times. Do you think that was kind of the game where it showed our, our lack of quality at times? 
Yeah, um, I, I think it just showed a lack of composure from them. I mean, the chances that we had, we should have done better. Um, it can maybe, you know, have been affected by a couple of external factors. I think the fact that we were chasing the goal at the end might have put a bit of additional pressure on them, uh, might have affected them in terms of composure. And see, the uh, the weather was horrendous as well, but we weren't on the pitch. It was so glorious. We'll... T-shirt How... and shorts weather. <laughs> it's T-side weather at its finest. <laughs> we don't know how, how much of an impact that was making, but like, say, Coburn's header inside the six-yard box, that should have been a goal. Um, Watmore's shot right at the end. When you got a pretty much clear shot on target from where you stood there, you need to be hitting the target. You can't be putting it over from, from where he was stood. Um, yeah, just like I said, I, I think it just came came down to a lack of composure there, um, which, which is why I think strikers probably an area well I think most definitely an area we'll be addressing in the summer mm, absolutely and there's going to be a lot of places I think we will be addressing uh, next season but let's move on to Hull now because we knew a win would take us to fifth in the championship table but a goal from Keane Lewis Potter was enough to see the Tigers win on side, and it was also the return of the Dana Malt jinx um, have, we got a, have we got a highlight of that <laughs> but uh <sighs> Guys, it's the first time Hull have done the double on us this season. First time a team's done the double on us as well. Uh, but then it was a, a game completely different from the Fulham game. But how would you assess the performance against Hull? It was just weird. It was like somebody had mm. put a hex on us because we couldn't do the basics right. There were so many misplaced passes, dodgy touches. We couldn't trap the ball. We couldn't cross. We couldn't shoot. Um, I think the game was summed up when I think it was McGree tried to play a ball forward and it hit <laughs> it hit Coburn straight off the back. I mean, and then Paddy McNair had a moment where he tried a first time flick down the line and it goes straight out of play for a throw into the left of him. It was just, it was really weird that, okay, we might have started well, but we completely petered out and we couldn't, we, we just couldn't get anything going. We had no rhythm. We had no momentum. And I think from a Hull perspective, it was a a very effective away performance because they played how I expected, a, a low block uh, and tried to counter. They, they'd only scored 33 goals before the game, but they'd only conceded four more than us. So defensively, they were pretty they've been pretty decent this season and they set up well I think they they executed their game plan well and in terms of that low block Borough just didn't have an answer to it and we were going to talk about the sort of approach to the game and Tav being out wide I think that was a big difference I genuinely think with great confidence if we had Isaiah Jones in that team we'd have won yesterday Hi I'm Daniel founder of Pretty Litter Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. We'll, we'll come up Jones in, in a second. And I think with, with the game yesterday, um, it did remind me of like the Karanka years a little bit where a team would come to town, they would sit in a low block, they'd make things difficult for Borough in long periods and in, in long spells where we pass it from side to side. But Middlesbrough looked really in control of the game. They had a lot of had a lot of the ball. You know, the, there was quality half chances here and there. Um, but then as the game goes on and, and teams start to realize that wait, these aren't creating clear good chances here, that low block becomes a mid block, and then that mid block becomes a bit more of an aggressive press, and they start to break it down in the key areas of the pitch and win the second balls. And then they'll get a, a chance or they'll have an opportunity and then they'll put it away. And then that's just like a typical, a t- not just a typical Borough performance, but also you'll see it so much in games where that away side who was struggling that towards the bottom end of the table, they'll have that little bit of confidence, that little bit of glimpse where they'll just give give someone an opportunity and then they'll put it away. And I think... Well, we had that against... We had that against Reading, didn't we, where they had a low block. And to be fair, I think for the most part of the game, it was working for them. And the one time that we needed someone to step up the most, it was Isaiah Jones. And I mean, it was a brilliant piece of skill and a brilliant ball at the box for Crooks's winner. That's what we needed. I think when you have a low block, you need to be expansive and work the ball down the wings. And yeah. when you've got Tav, who's a, a left-footed player playing on the right, he's going to cut inside. So... It disrupted the balance of the team and our attack, which we, it made it really difficult for us to get anything going. Yeah, and and with that as well, when you when you ask pulling it out wide, you've got to have a bit of pace on the ball and try to create that overall wide to try and drag people out of that position. I think the two players, I think there was two players for for Hull yesterday, and, and one of them is, is is George Honeyman, who I thought was superb yesterday. I think his ability to. to get when they were on that low button, get them on the counter with pace, I thought was really really strong. I thought. Uh, and Keane as well was, was was really good for them. And Richie Smallwood, I thought, played well um, in, in more of like a defensive shape. But Tom, with that 62% possession, 11 shots, simple question, or could be as complicated as you want. Um, how do we not break this team down? I think there's a couple of reasons for it. Dan has just said one of them there. We just couldn't do the basics right. Uh, Chris Wilder said after the game, Players gave the ball away cheaply, no float the game, individual errors, and you could see that result coming. I'd agree with that because I was sat there and like start of the second half thinking 
this is probably like the game only looks like it's going one way, so it's probably going to end up going the other way. Um, and and like like Dan said, there were there were so many kind of uh, you know misjudged uh, you know first hand passes, bad touches, um, which you know from out from our side we we just couldn't get anything going. And then from the whole side, they were set up really well, and the fact that they were narrow. They were pressing really well because I thought they were every time you know we were trying to play out from the back, they were either pressing our defenders really well or, or you know pressing Lumley and, and making everyone's hearts jump into their mouths. Um, so uh, you know, uh, I, th- I think we, we only really got the the kind of half chances going from that. Where we were effective, I thought, was playing it over the top of their defense. It's just in addition to what I've already said, the refereeing team was absolutely horrendous yesterday and let the whole defence get away with some ridiculous stuff. Because, like, I remember in the in the second half, there was a point where um, I think it was Greaves that was marking Coburn. Uh, ball came over the top and he just had a handful of Coburn shirt. It was in clear, clear view of the linesman. The referee could see it as well and just gave nothing for it. And, you know, apparently a yellow card offence, well, what used to be a yellow card offence just isn't one anymore. And, Probably won't go into the uh, the booking for Tab's alleged dive because that was a load of rubbish as well. Um, but it, it wasn't the officials' fault that we um, we lost that match, although they didn't help. Um, it's you know, like I said, we, we just we didn't do enough. We we didn't play at the levels like we have been able to recently. Mm. And and with that as well, I think there's there's a couple of things which which you can probably point the finger at as to why we didn't point that performance yesterday. But one of them, which we might will come to now, is is Tav moving on the right hand side. Uh, we seen it midweek there, and I thought he played well there, cutting in on on his left foot, causing more problems. And also, I think it was a a good a good tactical shift uh, from Wild as well to to bring him back out wide um, against Fulham. But do you think it disrupted the balance of of Boris play yesterday? Yeah, I mentioned it there. I think it absolutely did because one of the biggest and most fruitful parts of our game is those combinations down the right-hand side. And with Jones, you'll see him go on the outside or someone will cut, will go on the outside rather than cutting inside, be it Crooks in the half space. <clears throat> Even though he's come into an inside position or a more central position from the, the flank, he's still wanting to go down the line and putting a ball into the box. One of the biggest and best things about Zaya Jones is his deliveries into the six-yard box specifically are so effective and such a prominent part of his game. I think all but one of his assists this season have been balls put into the six-yard box and or maybe all but two. Well, basically, the majority of his uh, assists have being balls put into that area so it's when you have Tav out there I understand why he was put out there because Tav's versatility allows him to play out wide but it does expose a big weakness and a big hole in our team which is the competition or the backup to Isaiah Jones which we just don't have because as much as Tav has his own individual quality when he's playing on the right you'll see him cut inside and it just it was basically he was basically cutting into a, a brick wall yesterday, and we were running into dead ends because of it. And it wasn't necessarily a fault of his; it was just that's his game, and it just wasn't it wasn't working, unfortunately. But yeah, we we desperately need another right wing back option. And if I'm being honest, I don't think we have one. I don't even think that Dykesdale, um is a right wing back option for me. So it, it it does expose a big weakness of ours. 
Yeah, and I think when you put Pelletier there as well, it, it kind of nullifies that attacking threat as well, doesn't it? Yeah. Like, although Pelletier is really consistent and, and safe as ours as, as a defender, um, he's not really what you want in terms of running down the flanks, is he? Um, well, I think <laughs> Can you that imagine well, that? <laughs> Lee Pelletier with the George Friend cut in. <laughs> I'll pay good money to say that. <laughs> Same. <laughs> Uh, but I think with, with the Tav thing as well, I think moving from the right hand sides and, and having and Hull having an inverted uh, inverted forward in, in, in Lewis Potter and on his on his right hand side as well, it always it always stopped that that cutting, didn't it? It was always cutting on his right foot, and that tackle was a little bit easier for him to manage. And I think when you have that right on right on right on that left on uh, on, on Jones's right hand side, uh, it's a lot easier for the attacker to try and get around it. Um, and causing more problems. But then also when you look at Balogun and you look at Connolly, they're either on top of each other on, on looking for that centre centre back or they just decided to really pull out wide so then there was no one central. Um it was only really when we went to a three up front it was becoming more effective as the game went on. But again, when we're looking at Connolly, he is a wide forward. So it, we we probably would see him be a bit more successful in that position. But let's talk about Isaiah Jones then because do you think Guys, do you think we've struggled? Um, well, a quite easy answer. Do you think we've struggled without him? But then also, Tom, do you think it shows we have an over-reliance on him? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I, I think we have an over-reliance on that right-hand side in general. And I think that showed when, when Crooks was suspended. Because um, when, when Jones was obviously still in the team, we still had Dykesdale. Um, we had no kind of... Uh, chemistry on that right hand side and I think the fact that the Jones Jones is now missing and the final ball has been taken out of that uh, and, and you know a lot of movement down that right hand side it's uh, it, it, it is an over-reliance and I think we did try and balance that yesterday but it kind of moved more towards bowler and, and obviously we had to have cutting inside a lot so it wasn't really the same on the right hand side um, I, I think the only thing we can say is like hope to god he's back for, for Bournemouth yeah, and and uh, we got a question actually uh, from from Matt Rowney Dano, and he says, "Do you think the last two games prove that we're a one man team of outside Jones? Do you think that? Do you think we are? We're very close to being, aren't we? I mean, he is a big, big threat of ours, and when you take him out of the team, it takes out a big. It just it nullifies Bora basically without a team having to do anything. Unfortunately, so." One man team might be pushing it a little bit. <laughs> There's definitely more com- uh, components to this, to this wilder side. But he is probably the centerpiece of it. So yeah, it's difficult when we don't play him. I mean, thankfully we haven't had too many times this season where he's been missing. But the past two games have definitely shown what he can bring to the side and and what we struggle to bring without him. Yeah, it's definitely showed the importance, isn't it? Definitely, mm, 100%. but although we couldn't break Hull down yesterday, they did get the chance, like we said um, a little bit earlier on, that a team like that would always get a chance in a game uh, like it was yesterday. And they did. It was a ball whipped in, and it went right past Joel Lumley, Tom, and he's got to do better there, surely. Yeah, I mean, I knew you'd come to me for this one, but uh, <laughs> um, it, it's kind of similar to uh, the Dana Malkus, isn't it? Like, every time I play his lonely one week, he'll come back the next week and do something shocking like that. Uh, I feel no... seen here. I feel attacked. <laughs> That's the twice I've been... Yeah, the mulchings. <laughs> um, 
forgot what I was going to say. I mean, he, he has to do better. Uh, there's there's kind of no no defending that. Uh, in real time, when I saw it, because I was down the other end of the stadium, at first I thought it was a cross. I thought, mm. you know, Bamba's kind of went for it and then not, like, like pulled out the last second and then it's thrown Lumley and then watched it back on the replay and I was like, that is absolutely shocking. How is he let that in? Um, obviously, the, the question always comes up about about Lumley and as I said last week in recent games he had been doing fine um you know learning the kind of new sweeper keeper role and and you know we, we had been like even the goal against Fulham wasn't his fault but he's just got this in his locker um and like I said last week uh he's, he's nowhere near kind of experienced as a keeper is kind of his peaks way in front of him but I would be shocked now if we don't go in for another keeper in the summer. I do still think Lumley will be here next season, but I think, you know, for a while that I come out and actually talk about him after the match and say, you know, I've defended him, but he has to do better there. I think that's really telling of of where we are with the uh, the goalkeeping situation. Yeah, well, to, to quote uh, Wilder, he said, I've protected Joe from time to time, but that's a mistake. He has to save it. Do you think we we could potentially see a, see a change there? And do you think it's it's time to probably take Lumley out the limelight for a bit? I don't know because I just don't think there's an option that we have that is significantly better. I mean, I put a tweet up about goals prevented. Lumley and Daniels are in the minuses for that. Lumley's on minus two point eight goals prevented, and uh, Luke Daniels is on minus two goals prevented. Um, and I sort of flicked the filter the other way and saw the goalkeepers that have prevented a few goals this season and, and are very much in the positives in that metric and pretty much all of our promotion rivals, <laughs> pretty much all of them, like, you know, Lee Nichols, uh, Bryce Amber, Thomas Kaminsky. Um, it's, I just don't understand how we've landed to bang average goalkeepers. And I mean, Lumley is a mid-table quality goalkeeper, which is fine but we are wanting to get into the playoffs and we simply cannot afford a player that has mistakes in him like that. And I think we have been fair on the podcast with Joel Lumley. We've given him credit when it's due. Um, and then we've criticised him when when necessary, but this cannot continue. It honestly can't of him making key mistakes because in a promotion battle, in any promotion battle you need a goalkeeper that you can depend on and we simply cannot depend on Joel Lumley so uh, yeah I, I think Sol Brin it would be difficult to probably put Sol Brin in because he's completely untested it could, it could go completely wrong but I think we're stuck to be honest I think we're stuck with, with Lumley and we have to ride out the season with him and then look to the summer to maybe uh, improve him. Yeah well we, we had the question from, from David he said I asked what does Lumley have to do to get dropped I, like you, you've both said, really. I think I think it's diff, it's a difficult position. We can't really change it too much. Um, you can maybe put Daniels in, and again, the reason why Lonely came back was because people not was Daniels was underperforming in goal. But then also when we've brought back Sol Brin um, on loan, it was more of a, a a tactical thing from the club to try and create a space for another player to come in. Um, but it was it's it's something for me where. Look, we've, we've, we saw Brin, he's such a young kid. And also, we've got Leo Persevich there. You know, Chris Wilder, Alan Mill have seen him. We've had Kevin Blackwell there previously. 
we've had a lot of goalkeeping experience in terms of Leon and and uh, Kevin Blackwell there as well. Just to like essentially, if he was ready now, he'd be playing now. Um, in my opinion, I think Chris Wilder and his team and his coaching staff know a lot more than what I do in terms of goalkeeping, and I trust them in their opinion to the uh, more than probably what my opinion would be. And I think with Sol, if you want to put him in, put him in. I absolutely, Bora fans will back him. But if he concedes a blunder on his debut, don't don't start hammering him because that is that's that's the problem. You, you can't hammer him if he makes that one mistake. I think with Lumley, you've got the you you can actually just say like, look, this has been the what the eighth or ninth mistake this season. It's cost us points. We're going for play, for playoffs, but really under Neil Warnock. Joe Lumley was a signing where I thought, well, actually, we're going to be a mid-table team here. And Neil Warnock is a sign of mid-table players. So, essentially, this is kind of where we should be. But now, since we're pushing towards like the playoffs and going for promotion, we just don't have the quality there. And, yeah, we can wait till next season. And I think next season will be a much better season for us. But as of right now, what does Lumley have to do to get dropped? He... He should be he, 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 well in, a, in an ideal world where you've got competition for places. He's going to be dropped in, and you probably won't see him be in the eleven. But we don't have the options done to to actually do that or improve on that position. Maybe we see Daniels in the next game. Maybe, um, but for me, I think for Solbrin, how was your bottle? You know, what I mean, if you come in, if you come in against Bournemouth. Right. Well, one prove me wrong, prove uh, the some of the, the the coaching staff wrong as well, because I just don't think you're ready yet. But there's not there's not me saying that you can come in and be a really successful keeper for Borough in the future. But we've seen it in the past with the likes of Jason Steele, Connor Ripley, um, Ross Turnbull, Brad Jones, all young keepers have came in, being hammered for fans to come and see them as well, and then they've done terribly wrong, got absolutely hammered, and they've been shipped out somewhere else. So you've got to be really... If, if Brain is to come in, you cannot blame him for if we drop any points for the remainder of the season, regardless of how many blunders he makes, because he's such a young kid. But, I think whoever plays in goal next game just has to stay there for the rest of the season. <clears throat> be it Lumley, you know, if yeah. Daniels comes in and, and is the, you know... Lomley's dropped. We have to stick with Daniels for the rest of the season because this, you know, if we chop and change at this point, I just, I don't know what good that would do. But then I suppose I don't know what what good keeping Lomley in would do because there's there's a mistake. And to be honest, we've had this this pattern this season where we've criticised Joe Lomley as, as pro- what's probably necessary on this podcast. And then we've given him fair analysis and praise when it's necessary and they'll be you know he'll make a mistake and then there'll be a a bit of a lull where he doesn't do anything or he doesn't do anything wrong for a couple of games he might make a save or two that's good and then we're straight back with the with the mistakes again Mm. and that's the thing it's like I can afford him or cut him some slack if this was just a a sort of one-time thing but there's been so many games this season QPR Birmingham Barnsley Yesterday, you could go through the whole, even QPR at home, where uh, Lyndon Dyke scored, he goes straight through his legs at, 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 um, at the near post. He's just not good enough for a team that's wanting to get into the top six. And I want him to do well, I really do, but I think you have to call it as it is. And what we've seen of Joel Lonely this season, he's just not being good enough if we're wanting to get into the top six. Yeah, and it's also a position as well, which is magnified 
It's it's the most magnified position in football, probably a goalkeeper, because the slightest of mistakes is an instant goal for the other team. And, you know, he's he's, he's making quite a few of them. And we, that, that is why we're in the position that we're in, to be honest. But to be honest, I know he's made the mistake there, but also don't always point the finger at Joel and me all the time. We've created, what, 26 chances in in two games and haven't scored from one of them. So to be again, fair, I... yesterday I don't think there was a clear cut chance yesterday. But I, I take uh, your point. Yeah, the, yeah, the, the yeah. forward line is blunt at the moment. Yeah, so like the forward line the, the last two games was blunt. So like you can't always rely on a dodgy goalkeeper. You've got to try and you've got when we when we create chances now, we've got to try and put games to bed because we know in the back of our mind that there is a mistake in our in our goalkeeper and. Unfortunately, that's kind of the position we're in at the moment. We've got to just try and outscore teams if we're going to have to play that way. Um, but we, we just haven't been doing that at the moment. But, you know, after the Peterborough game, I thought we were excellent. Last two games, we, we could have been a lot better. But now the two defeats um, in back-to-back of seeing Borough lose four and seven in all competitions. And if you want to extend that further, um, it's six defeats and 12 with five wins and one draw. Why do you think we are stuttering at the moment, Tom? Do you think that there's there's there's... Do you think he was trying to stutter over at the end? Do think teams are finding us out? Do you think there's, there's, there's the more to it? I've I've just felt like we were running out of steam and I, I thought we'd corrected it after the Peterborough result. <clears throat> I thought coming back from that international break, that was exactly the type of performance we needed and, and that is probably when it would pick up, but it, it just didn't happen. Um, I think the lack of depth in midfield badly hurt us when we've had McGree and Pierre unavailable. Um, and then teams have kind of figured out how to play against us as well, um, and, and we just haven't been consistent enough. It's something that I definitely think will be put right next season. It's just kind of, what, with five games left, I don't know if the uh, the team's just running out a little bit from, from the position we managed to put ourselves into. Mm. Dana, what's your thoughts? You know, I, I read this question and I kind of thought, it's easy to get not carried away because I think the excitement has been born out of what we have seen and what we have seen under Wilder, the progression that we've witnessed firsthand has been good. It's been really promising and really impressive. But I think amongst that, it's easy to forget that there are several holes in this squad. I mean, Tom, me and Tom were talking off air, the amount of players that he wants to see being brought in and Wilder alluded to it is uh pre-match press conference this week, I think before the Fulham game, that there are several holes in this squad that they tried to identify in January. We've already discussed one of them, right wing back. We've already discussed the goalkeeping situation, probably left wing back as well in terms of the specificity, the specific values of what Chris Wilder wants from his side. And that's a difficult word to say. Uh, the left-sided centre-half, that's what Chris Wilder wants. And he said that many times. Mm. There's so many holes to be plugged in this squad and I think maybe we are where we should be and it's just more that I would probably with a another transfer window in the bag for Chris Wilder I would expect promotion next season or at least the playoff place next season but for this season I don't think I was ever at any point expecting it so um yeah, I think maybe we have just run out of steam, but maybe this is where we were supposed to be because maybe we've mm. been overperforming. I don't know. To be honest, we probably have been overperforming. Like when when we've got when we've got a manager like Wilder coming in, and 
significantly, significantly in, increasing the value and the quality of this squad in such a short space of time is insane. I think it was yeah that you pulled that graph the other the other day on Twitter, Dana, right around like the progression that we've made under Chris Wilder. And to be honest, we've been fantastic under him, and we're still being fantastic. And I think like the performance yesterday, the performance yesterday, I think, and, and probably Sheffield United, every game that we've had under Wilder has been a lot better than what we've seen under the previous uh, regime. And yeah, there's. I think next season is going to be the year for us if we were to go up. Um, I think we've got the quality. Uh, well, we have the ability to bring the quality in and really address and use this new recruitment strategy that we've got. And that could be the long-term strategy that we want. It's that it's that new Middlesbrough that we spoke about previously. The team that is going to have be built on. It's going to have profitable value. It's going to have a show more of like the club's identity, and then also have the ability to, if a new manager was to come in, we could still play a similar style or adapt to a new one fairly quickly. Um, but yeah, like you're saying there, Dan, there's like so many positions. What right wing back, left centre half, and you could do a left cent- you could do um left wing back for if you want cover for baller, centre defensive midfield for Johnny House in next season. Um, mm. you want two what two or three or four centre forwards if you want to bring in um goalkeeper and another centre half if you want to need cover for Dyke Steele. So there's so many positions that we need. Um, like centre defence mid Nathaniel Chalabar, what he would be unbelievable. What is he out contract from Watford next season? Something like that. Bring him back. Like I think he's superb, and I thought he was excellent for Fulham as well uh, when he played the other day. So there's what well, there's so many people that we could we could look to address. Um, but like like we've said, if Borough don't go up this year, it is absolutely not the end of the world. If anything, it kind of feels like those cranky years where we we missed out on playoff final, but the next year we just brought it to the table. Then like that could be the season. So, yeah, but it's, it's always it's always easy to like get you know, after what two defeats to be like like hammering and be fuming and not be like happening because it ruins your weekend and all that kind of stuff. But there's two big games are coming up that'll dictate the season. And if we don't do well, then so be it. Next year is going to be one hell of a ride anyway, and the future is is incredibly bright. Um, but should we move on to questions then? Because Questions is the, the the thing on the podcast where you can send them in via Twitter um, at the borough underscore breakdown or email at the borough breakdown hotmail.com or you can do it on Telegram, um, the massive group chat uh, with 151 borough fans uh, and Luke, um, the, the Watford <laughs> analyst uh, in there as well. Uh, sorry, the analyst from Watford. Uh, but um, let's, let's move on to questions then because Gareth says... Um, do you think striker rotation is the way forward? Uh, while they didn't change the strikers for three or four games and Balogun and Connolly scored, he changes it and now they're out of rhythm again. Uh, Dana? It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because, yeah, I mentioned uh, maybe a podcast or two ago that I don't mind the rotation of it, but I think that was maybe more so in terms of starting with a set two and then maybe rotating them out during the games, but... To be honest, if you're a defensive unit, are you fearing any of our four strikers? And I take Corbin out of the equation there because I don't really think he's in in this conversation of what I'm trying to put forward here, but I don't think you do. I don't think you fear any of our strikers in in the squad. It's just as simple as that. We We have strikers that just aren't strong enough in their performance, and I'm a bit... I'm a bit sick to my ends of us having strikers like this, to be honest. They've no one, I mean, 
Bernie Slaven was the last striker that scored 20 goals in a league season for us. And that was in 1989-90. None of us were born when, when that happened. And I think my expectations of strikers of of it's decreased so much it's on the sea floor of basically oh yeah well at least they worked hard and I'm like no Din no that shouldn't be what I'm expecting that should be a given I should expect my strike you know the, the strikers of my football team to score goals and we never have or, or very rarely we have somebody that can do that consistently and is it to do with the rotation maybe maybe they just need time that we can't really I suppose as fans, we can't really give them because it is an impatient game, isn't it? And we're trying to get into the playoffs. But um, to be honest, before the game against Fulham, I did say Connolly is starting to get somewhere here. He's starting to build up a little bit of momentum, a little bit of rhythm. And um, obviously, Balogun scored against Peterborough. And then I said on the Telegram chat, it would be harsh to drop them. And then I saw I saw the starting 11 against Fulham and I was like, He's dropped them. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Um, maybe it was game approach because, as I said, we were trying to get the balls into the channels against Fulham and Watmore is probably the best striker to do that out of the options that we have. But it does seem to have disrupted a little bit of momentum that Balogun and Connolly were getting into. Mm. Yeah, okay. Um, the next question um, is from Ben. Uh, is McNair a guaranteed starter next season or is he someone we could sell to command a modest transfer fee to reinvest? Uh, Tom, do you want to go take this one? Yeah, I don't think he's a guaranteed starter next season, but he's also not a player that I'd sell. Um, I was thinking a lot about it yesterday during probably the early stages of the second half just because it was already starting to put put together my kind of end of season transfer list of areas we need to address. And I don't think you sell McNair. I think you have him fighting with Dykesdale for that right side at centre back uh, position. Because we've all we all said when when Wilder came in and after the first couple of games, McNair seems purpose built for this system. He's not quite a midfielder, he's not quite a centre back, but in a in a free uh, and especially where he, he can get forward and, uh, you know, do that overlapping centre-back bit, he does suit it. Mm. But he doesn't suit it on that left-hand side. I think there's there's been uh, examples where we've conceded goals. I, I think Blackburn's the one that's coming to mind, uh, where a left-foot left centre-back would have been much better in that situation. I don't think we concede there. And it's it's not McNair's fault. Uh, he can't help not being left-footed. But... Um, <laughs> he if he moves over to to that um to fighting with that uh with Dyke Silver for that right centre back position, that addresses a situation that we would have need to address in, in the summer anyway. Um so I, I think you have those two there and I think you try and bring in two left sided centre backs. Um but then there's there's so many other areas of the of the squad that need addressing as well. You've got goalkeeper, you need another uh, d- another defender to fight with Dale Fry for that place, another left wing back, another right wing back, potentially two centre defensive mids, three strikers. It, it's going to be a big window, but I mean, going back to, to the original question, I, I don't think we sell McNair to, to fund that that window. Uh, I think he does have a place in the squad. I just don't think it's in his current position. Okay, then. Uh, the next question uh, is from David, and he says, is that if for playoffs, realistically, we always lose at Bournemouth. The Swansea away ain't much better either. We have some very tough home games to come. Um, both of you, easy answer, really. Is it over, yes or no? Dana, do you go first? 
It isn't, but it's, I mean, it's taken a bit of a hit in terms of my confidence towards it this uh, after this week. But it's, I think what I need to remember is that the performance levels, you know, forget the result, the performance levels against Fulham and against Peterborough were good. It was the whole game that was probably the one that sticks out as a stinker. Um, so if our performance levels drop and we have another stinker against Bournemouth and another stinker against Huddersfield, then I'd be incredibly worried. I mean, what, I need to be wary of is the run-in that we have. I mean, in terms of points per game, we have the toughest run-in of the playoff pack. Our remaining opponents average 1.55 points per game, weighted home and away. And for our next four in particular, 1.62 points per game average. So it's um, it's difficult for us. It's a test, but it's certainly not over. And um, bring it on. I'm, I'm excited. Come. I don't think it's over, and you know what? It, I'm going to go for kind of like a typical Borough thing. It wouldn't surprise me if we turn up at, on Friday, Bournemouth, and beat them like one nil now, and then go on to beat Huddersfield <laughs> as well. After after the two uh, losses that we've just had, that honestly wouldn't surprise me. It wouldn't surprise me either. It wouldn't surprise me at all. We end up winning every single game, winning the playoffs, and get promoted, and just we end up winning the Premier League next year. Um, well, but... What I will say though, I just want to make a point here. A pet peeve that I seem to have picked up is when people say, "Yeah, well, we've got a game in hand." Ah, oh, no, don't like don't fall into that trap because I remember the game against Reading where Farshaw scored a um, you know ninety fourth minute late winner. That was our game in hand in that season, and that was no easy ride and I think our game in hand this season is against Cardiff who are rejuvenated under Steve Morrison so definitely don't underestimate Cardiff don't expect that game to be a victory don't act like it's a safety blanket for us it's it's just as tough a test as the Bournemouth and Huddersfields of our running Jordan Hugel loves a goal against us as well mm. well at least do take out score against us Tommy <laughs> there is that <laughs> Yeah, yeah, there is that. Uh, fi- <laughs> Finally, last question. Um it's from everything Borough saw nearly uh, the everything MFC uh, return there, Dana. Um <laughs> what, which strikers are realistic targets? We need to buy three. Um one each, maybe. Just want to take one each. Um go on, Dana, who would be a realistic striker? You know what? I've got a few on this list, actually. I'm being greedy with it. but um, take, take a few. I was just thinking in terms of the roles. Now, for me, I think we should have a link striker, a support striker, a David McGoldrick, if you like. I think Collie Woodrow um, could be really good for that. Out of contract next summer, not this summer. But if Barnsley go down, which I think there's sure too, we could potentially look uh, at that. He surely won't want to be in League One next season. And then I think we need a, well, <laughs> the captain obvious here, we need a finisher. And I was watching Presley against Blackpool and I was like, Cameron Archer is a good player. If we can entice Cameron Archer here on a loan deal from from Villa, I think that would be one hell of a signing. Um, but Ryan Law, the Ryan Law revolution at Preston could probably bring him back there on loan, I would assume. But Think they them two would be my pick, but shout out to Victor Yorkerez, uh, Matej Vidra, and Jacob Brown as well, who's having a surprisingly good season for for Stoke. He's into double figures for goals. Okay, that's some good a good list. Um, Tom, who are you going to go for? 
I think it just depends on what our budget is for him and you know how much we get for Spence. But uh, striker, I'd, I'd love to see us go after. I mean, this might be unrealistic. Uh, Tyrese Campbell from Stoke, I'm a big fan of his. But if uh, if Peterborough go down, like like it looks like the the probably will, Clark Harris could also be a shout as well. And then I think if you want to even go even more left field and look at a League One, maybe Hardy at. Plymouth, maybe. Um, I think he's on loan from Wraith Rovers. Um, you might have to fact check me on that one. I think he's definitely on loan from a Scottish team. Um, but I think what 16, I think, 18, 18 goals. I think he scored this year for Plymouth. Um, versus target forwards and also a very similar, a very good style, which would probably suit us. Um, as well. Yeah, Ryan no, he's, at Plymouth. he's at Plymouth permanently. Permanently. There you go. I thought he was on loan. Um, but here we are. Uh, okay, let's move into the praise and place then, uh, because the praise and place is the place we like to praise players, our coaching staff, our people around Middlesbrough <laughs> each week on the podcast. Um, who's going to be in the praise and place this week, Tom? Who are you going to pick? Yeah, it was a difficult one for me this week because, as I mentioned earlier, I was thinking Dale Fry for uh, you know however many many minutes it was until Mitrovic scored on uh, on Wednesday, uh, and then I thought, ah, oh, well, my reasoning for that's kind of cancelled out now. I think over the two games, I'd only say Dykesdale uh, this week. Um, I, I think he's he's given a good account of himself in in both of them. Uh, while I said yesterday, Dykesdale's probably the only one who comes out with a slightly higher rating than the rest. Um, yeah, I, I can't really think of anyone else who, who kind of deserves a mention this week. Uh, I mean, potentially Tav, just for that goal line clearance, but didn't can do a, a massive amount other than that. So I, I'd, I'd probably go with, with just like still. Okay, then, Dan, are you going to go for? I'm going to go a little bit left field. I'm going to give it to Matt Crooks because of um, off the pitch. Obviously, uh, the sign language video that was put up and displayed on the uh, big screen. I think that's brilliant for um, <clears throat> inclusivity. And I just think Matt Crooks is a brilliant person to have at this football club and raising awareness for people, you know, hard of hearing. I thought that was brilliant from him. So um, I think for that, I, I want to put Matt Crooks in there because I think we, we should praise things like that. Okay. So Crooksy and then Anthony Dykesdale. I want to go with Mark Baller, I think. Um, I think his performance against Fulham was good. I thought he was fairly decent yesterday. And I just feel like he's the more and more he's starting to play under the system, the more I'm like starting to think he's he's a good fit. It's just it's a shame he has so many injuries. But it's nice to see him come back and, and start to hit form again. Um, and just, just like see him smile on the football pitch. It's just a nice little feeling for him. <laughs> um, so there you are, Mark. You're in my present place for the week. Uh, but let's look ahead to Good Friday then now because Borough travelled down to Bournemouth. Um, a ground that we don't have too much, uh, too many good results, uh, to say the least, um, at. Um, but Dana... How are you feeling about Bournemouth this season under Scott Parker? Because you're not really a big fan of his, are you? Trying to wheel me into calling him a fraud again, are we, Johnny? <laughs> but um, yeah, they're, they're quite interesting because I think obviously they had that deadline day where they signed everybody and then Nan. But to be honest, it's probably that quality that's going to get them over the line rather than Scott Parker being a footballing genius. But yeah, they're they're a strange team um, coming off the back of a goalless draw against Sheffield United. And to be honest, Sheffield United should have had a penalty in that game. I don't know what 
Nat Phillips was doing, trying to kick Morgan Gibbs-White into the stratosphere. It was a strange decision for the referee not to give that as a penalty, but they set up in a 43-1 formation um, in that game with Billing as the number 10 behind Solanke, Christian Dembele's wide forwards. Uh, they have the second-best defence and the second-best attack in the league, obviously, behind Fulham. Um, but a point of vulnerability, potentially, they've not uh, lost nine points in the last 15 minutes of games this season, which is the second-most in the top half behind Huddersfield, who lost uh, 12 points mm. from the last 15 games so our next two opponents there um they've conceded at least one goal in 14 of their 19 home matches this season but here we go with the stat and it's not a cursed one actually well maybe it's cursed in terms of Borat being crap at Bournemouth but we've played Bournemouth away 10 times dating back to 1967 when they were called Bournemouth and Boscombe Athletic we've only won once and that was in 1991 in the League Cup. The results after that, and I'm using the website 11v11 to look at this. Nil-nil uh, in the next meeting in 2014. 3-0 in the meeting after that in 2015. 4-0 in the Premier League in 2017, where Gaston Ramirez has got himself sent off. Uh, and then 3-1 in the League Cup in 2017, but the season after. And then 3-1 last season which uh, was not a particularly great afternoon for Sam Morsey. So, yeah, 10 meetings against Bournemouth away from home, only one victory. And we seem to always play them. This is my conspiracy theory, that the FA purposely put us against Bournemouth away at the back end of the season because they want to watch us crumble. And nine times out of 10, we do crumble because we've had some awful results there. And, uh, yeah, I'm not really, not really too confident about this one. I'm not going to lie. Okay, then. Well, well, let's have a look at the form then, because I know Dan, you were saying that they've dropped uh, one of the, some of the most points this season for the last fifteen minutes. But Tom, how are we looking in terms of form perspective? Because things don't seem to be too rosy. Yeah, it's a, it's a bit up and down for them, really. Um, they they don't really kind of seem to have too much rhythm, other than being inconsistent. Uh, they've won <laughs> two in the last five. Um, going back to a one-all draw against Reading on the fifteenth. Uh, then went away to Huddersfield and beat them 3 0. Uh, beat Bournemouth 3 2, uh, not beat Bristol City, sorry, 3 2 at home. Uh, and then lost 2 0 away at West Brom of all teams. Uh, and then the um, the 0 0 against Sheffield United yesterday. So, I mean, last couple of games have really not been great at all, especially if you're losing to Steve Bruce's West Brom. But, um, <laughs> They've obviously got the potential for for big results there. It's just the same, extremely inconsistent. Okay, then. So, in terms of that, then what are you, what are your predictions uh, for the game? Two inconsistent sides going on against one, one each other. So, must be draw written all over it. Dana, what do you think? Ah, oh, see, my first, my very first thought, and this is in no relation to the game yesterday. It's not reactionary born out of that. Was three 0 Bournemouth because I've seen so many bad performances at Bournemouth over the years but I'm kind of warming to a 2-2 I mean the game at the Riverside it was their wing backs it was Anthony and uh, Zamura Zamura is an injury doubt for this game they were so exposed uh, we got down their flank so many times in that game now I'm not expecting them well to be honest it's Scott Parker so maybe I should expect them to play the same way um, they were a possession based obviously and I've seen them or I've seen the back of the net podcast a few times on YouTube where they've complained about them basically not having the conviction to all of the possession that they have so 
could potentially be one where Borough nullify them as much as they can or for as long as they can and really get the crowd on them because I think there's a vulnerability in that um, home support there. They're, they're probably a defeat or a bad performance away from a complete meltdown under Parker. They're not convinced by him either. So, you know what? I'm going to go 2-2. Two, 2-2. Two. Two, two. Um, Tom, what do you think? I'm going to go for a repeat of what happened at the Riverside and say 1-0. Um, as I said earlier, th- this is not based on any stats or anything like that, just a feeling that after the last two games, it would be absolutely typical of us to to turn up there and, and turn them over 1-0. So I'm going with that. Okay, I'm going to go with one all. Um, and then we'll look on to Monday then, Easter Monday, the other kickoff on Sky Sports um, against Huddersfield. Carlos Carbaron has got his side into fourth in the championship this season. Definitely a surprise uh, for all of us, but they have made good signings and have played very, very well. Um, guys, what's your thoughts on this game? Uh, how we feel about it? Have got any insight at all we want to share before we move into the predictions? Yeah, I've had a look at some uh, some formation stats for them. I mean, it, it's it's kind of similar to Bournemouth in that they're inconsistent, but as, as in formations, they seem to switch formation every every other week, which is is quite interesting. Uh, it reminds me a bit of um, what we had under under Mowbray, where we continuously switch the squad up and try and counter other teams. Um, they they do have a couple that they keep going back to four three three as they played in the last game. They played a f- uh, three four two one against us last time. They've played that quite a lot this season, um, but they've they've got the potential to switch it up quite a lot. I mean, um, as I mentioned, they played four three three in the last game against Hull. Before that, they played four four two against Bournemouth, five four one against Millwall, four four two against West Brom. Which I, I probably sound like I'm going in on West Brom here, but that is the most West Brom game and formation <laughs> you could possibly play against them. Four three three against Peterborough. So, um, you know, the, like I say, they've got the potential to switch that up. Um, and then in terms of uh, danger men, I mean, the the one that stands out more than any other is uh, Danny Ward this season. Uh, scored 13 goals in 40 appearances, two assists. He's, he's quite far away um, in, in terms of the being the top scorer for their their team. Uh, we've got uh, Danel Sanani and Dwayne Holmes, both on six goals uh, in joint second behind him. So he's got, got more than double uh, what they have. Um, and then just in, in terms of uh, form as well, um, as I mentioned, their last game they played the 4-3-3 was against Hull. Uh, that was a 1-0 win for Huddersfield at Hull. Uh, Hull had a man sent off in that game. Um, before that, lost 3-0 at home at Bournemouth, uh, lost 2-0 away at Millwall, 2-2 against West Brom, and then lost in the fifth round of the FA Cup uh, 2-1 away at Forest as well. So even though they won the last game, they've not been having too much of a, a good time recently, although they are playing Luton Town tomorrow. Uh, so who knows how that's going to end up, but that'll be an interesting game considering where both of, they are, uh, both of them are on the table. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's move into predictions then, because how are you feeling about it? Can Middlesbrough potentially rise again on Easter Monday, Dana, and maybe get some three points, go back into the playoffs? <laughs> yeah, we need a little bit of a of a resurrection, I think. But, I mean, Huddersfield have the, the third best away record in the Championship at the time of recording with 31 points accumulated, so... Um, yes, I'm not sure. I'm not sure with this one. You know, what? I'm going to go with a with a one nil Borough victory and uh, get us back on the wins. Okay, Tom, you're going to go for yeah. a, a double win over Easter. 
I, I will, yeah. I'm going to stay in the Easter spirit. I'm going to go for an excellent 1-0 display uh, against <laughs> against Huddersfield uh, on, uh, on Easter Monday. <laughs> Uh, round off, I'm going to go 1 0 uh, as well. And, uh, but, guys, that's it. Thank you very much for joining me, as always. And to listeners, thank you very much uh, for listening to us as well. Um, but as we move into Easter, can Borough look to rise again and move back in the playoff places? We'll find out next Monday um, where, where we're going to be recording on the evening. So, it should be live here on the Tuesday morning. Um, but this is the Borough Breakdown podcast, and that was all your Borough Match Day chatter. In a pod. Hope the board breakdown. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.